Yeah, so like, like Glenn highlighted, my name is Sean. I come from Northview Community Church. Um, this last year, I've been working there um, in, the, in the church planting department, but actually, I just finished uh, one week ago. That was my last day, because my wife and I are taking steps towards being long-term missionaries overseas. And so this next year, we're prepping, doing some of those things, but in the meantime, we get the awesome opportunity of doing things like this, and coming out and preaching in Squamish, and Squamish holds a special, special place in my heart. Um, in my undergrad degree, it was in outdoor leadership and guiding people in the wilderness, and I was able to come out here and do some rock climbing and learn how to do a little bit of that, and then I actually proposed to my wife here in Squamish as well. And so um, it's great that I'm, we're back here and we're able to celebrate some of those particular things together and now be able to celebrate with all of you as brothers and sisters in Christ as we get into God's word here today. Um, so um, about seven years ago, um, God gave me a very clear um, uh, push towards going to a very small island in Micronesia, Federated States of Micronesia, just east of the Philippines. And uh, this particular island, oddly enough, was called the Yap. So he called me to the island Yap to be a sports missionary there for a couple of months. Uh, my goal was to use the medium of sport to be able to bring people to Christ so they might praise the name of God. So that was my mission. But when I was there, uh, there just so happened to be a basketball team. And that basketball team invited me to play with them, to practice with them, um, and to play in the upcoming YAP games. Now, these YAP games were, were pretty big. They happened every year. They were like the Island Olympics. All of the tribes from all over would come, and they would compete in this particular activity. And, and as I started practicing with them, I had visions of glory coming up. This was going to be the highest level of basketball I had ever played. And I was going to, there were medals and awards and opening ceremonies. And I was getting excited. And I was so focused on these games. And then it happened. About a week before the opening ceremony, I seriously twisted my ankle, seriously sprained my ankle, blew up like a colorful balloon. And I was going to be out of the games for the vast majority of it. But interestingly enough, in that moment, when I had twisted it and I was in pain, I was lying on the ground, it, was, it became so clear to me, just seconds after the injury, why it had happened. You see, now, instead of being on the floor playing, I was going to be on the bench, talking to people, talking to them about Christ. It now gave me a better opportunity than if I was actually playing on the floor. You see, this injury put back on the forefront of my mind why I was there in Yap in the first place. It wasn't to pursue this personal vision of glory. It was to pursue the mission of God. Now, I tell that story because that is the heart of Psalm 67, the mission of God. Um, his mission is for all peoples to know and to worship him. For in this, they too are blessed and fulfilled. He, he accomplishes this, this global mission by blessing his people, not so that they can just be blessed and pursue these visions of grandeur, but rather so that they can extend that blessing to the nations and teach others about who God really is. Now, uh, we're going to be jumping into this idea of the, the mission of God in Psalm 67 with one big idea that I want us to remember. Just one big idea, one point, and that is blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That's what we're going to be hopping in, Psalm 67. We're going to read through it in its entirety before breaking it up into some different chunks. So starting in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us, 
so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now, if we take a look at that very first line again, we actually notice something very interesting. So it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. This, this alludes back to the, the priestly blessing that Aaron, the high priest over Israel, would speak over all the people. We, we see it in its full extent in Numbers 6, where it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This, this was a profound request, even an intimate request, for the blessing of the Lord. It, it was them seeking God for protection, for, for provision, for peace, and the presence of the Lord to be near to them always. And, and them seeking this blessing was good. But notice what it says in our text. It wasn't just for the sake of themselves. They were seeking this blessing for others. This, this idea of seeking this blessing for others happens in our text in verse 2 um, and in verse 7. It kind of bookends our passage, um, highlighting how important it is. I'm going to read it again here. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Here's the key words. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And then at the very end of our passage as well. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Those, those key connecting words, so that, are so important here. Because the purpose that the psalmist identifies for God to bless Israel, the motivation that they're giving to God, they're saying, hey God, bless us, because we want to bless others. It's, it's not for us, it's actually for others, that we want to extend this blessing of others knowing who you are knowing your ways, experiencing your salvation. That is why you should bless us. Um, I, I like to think of this, this role of Israel. They were kind of like the middleman. So God had, had given this, them this particular role of teaching and instructing the nations, a priestly role as a middleman. And um, I think of it almost like in the situation of a blind date. Now, I don't know how many of you have been on a blind date. I have. Some of them didn't work so well. Some of them went great. I married my wife off of a blind date. <laughs> um, but the, the, the role in a situation in a blind date is that you don't know the third party, but there's a middleman. Someone who, if they know that third party well, you're going to trust them. Their job as the middleman is to relay how this other person is good, how they're going to be a great fit, how attractive they are, so that you're going to be interested in them. That was the role of Israel. They were to tell the nations how attractive God was, how God wanted a relationship with them, how, how he's actually yearned for that, and how that would fulfill the very needs of the nations. Israel was designed by God to be that middleman. Now, this role of middleman came from a promise, actually, to the very founder of the Jewish nation in Genesis 12 to Abraham. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here's the key line. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. The the Israelites, as his descendants, knew about this, this promise, this calling on their lives. And that's why even in our psalm today, they're taking this up and saying, we, we want to bless the nations, so please bless us so that we can do that. Interestingly enough, um, this same role of reaching out to the nations is the very thing that Jesus gives as his last marching orders to the church. We see it in the Great Commission in Matthew 28:19-20, where it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Um, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's mission is to make himself known, to have him worshipped, because in doing that, people will be fulfilled and satisfied in him. This can only be done when the church actually steps into that role, into that middleman role that God has made for us, to reach out to those who don't know him. This has always been the mission of God's people, from Abraham to the Israelites to the church. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is this our, is this your and my daily primary mission that we seek to accomplish day after day? I want you to imagine that that your church, that The Rock, um, had recently sent out a missionary. So they sent out a missionary to the far reaches of the world, and you hear back several years later that they hadn't actually connected with anyone in the community. They hadn't been sharing Jesus with their neighbors. They hadn't been connected into the church. They hadn't been involved in any way. They were just kind of taking care of themselves, you know, living comfortably themselves, seeking after their own good. Would you commend this missionary for their work? Well, well, no, right? In fact, supporting them would almost seem like a waste because they've missed the point of what being a missionary is about. So often, we do the same. See, God has called us into our job. God has called us into our family, into our neighborhood. God has called us onto our sports team, or for me, that basketball team. He has called us there uh, with a mission. And that's the mission to share who he is, to make him known among the nations. And the nations include us. We are a nation. And there are people around us who need to hear that word. It, it seems strange that amidst that, um, that call, that so often, I know for myself too, sometimes we hide the Christian hope that we have. And this would have seemed really strange to the psalmist writing this in Psalm 67, because he sees this mission, this call to, to encourage people to praise the one true living God, not as something that's loathsome or difficult or challenging, but rather as something that's actually exciting. And we see his excitement in verses 3 to 5. He says, May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. He's excited and wants others to join him in that excitement, that joy that he has to worship God. But what motivates that, that passion, that excitement to praise God. 
what it says right in our text in verse 4. God's right rule over the world based on his character. His goodness, his justice, his fairness, his sovereignty, his love. These are things that motivate him to want to share who this God is. We know in our world, the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of, of so many worldview, different worldviews that people have around us that lead them to despair, that lead them to discouragement, to distress, to lives that have no purpose. But we have a God who rightly rules over the earth, a God who is loving and true and kind, and we should want to share that. That should make us excited and motivated. The thing is, we don't actually have a problem sharing or even praising about lots of other things, right? Maybe it's your favorite sports team. Maybe it's your uh, favorite climbing route. Maybe it's your favorite uh, restaurant or your favorite musician or your favorite movie. We praise things all the time. We excitedly share things that are our hobbies and other passions that we have all of the time. It, it, like Praising things is actually a part of, of our human nature. We were made to worship. We were made to praise. Everybody does it. I don't know how many times I've had hour-long conversations about the Lord of the Rings. Um, I love the Lord of the Rings. And it just happens. It just spurs out of me. I can't control it. Someone mentions something, and now they're caught in a conversation that lasts for a couple hours, whether they wanted to or not. Right? It just happens. Um, and, and the nature of that is that when we love something, we want to praise it, and we want to invite other people into that. Uh, for those who are parents in their room or grandparents, when they have kids, they want to share about, about their new child. They're excited about that. They want to show the photos. Right? It's something that they want to invite other people into because they're passionate about it themselves. It's easy to tell what has captured the hearts of people because we praise what captures our hearts. We praise what captures our hearts. So if you're being honest... Does God capture your heart? Because if he does, then he will also capture your tongue. See, if he captures your heart, you're going to speak about it often. Because what is on the inside will flow out. Jesus tells a parable about what's on the inside will come out. If he captures our heart, we will speak about it. Now, I just want to pause the sermon here for a second. Let's press pause on it and realize that, yes, sometimes sharing about Jesus is hard. Sharing about him in our workplaces, sharing about him sometimes even with family, if it's family that doesn't know Christ. These can be hard situations, and sometimes they seem overwhelming. We're called to share to the entire world, how do I get started doing something like that? So I just want to press pause on the sermon. I want to jump into one way that we can start to make inroads in a community about how we can share. And that is love your physical neighbor. Love your physical neighbor. So we often probably have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, where Jesus is um, talking about, the, the point of that is that we're called to love everyone. Who's our neighbor? Well, actually everyone's our neighbor, even our enemies, which was what the Samaritan would have been to the Jew, is our neighbor. And we're called to love everyone. We get the big picture from that story, but we often miss the most basic fact, is that even though loving your neighbor means loving everyone, it also means loving your actual physical neighbor, the person who lives right beside you, the person that God has placed right beside you for a reason. 
And how do we do that? How do we love our physical neighbor? I just want to give two really, really basic things that are actually something that I think we all can do. So the first is get to know their name and remember them. Get to know their name and remember it. So I want us to think for a second, for the people who are beside us, for the people who are across the street from us, maybe across the hall from us, how many of your neighbors do you know their name? Think about them now. How many of them do you, do you remember? Maybe Joe on this side, maybe you know Nancy on this side. How many of the neighbors do you actually know who are living right beside you? Um, I, I went to a high school that there was a janitor there, and that janitor knew the name of every kid in that 500-person school, uh, school. Every kid. And every year, you know, another 150 would come. He would memorize them all. I still remember his name, Mr. Cooper, because he cared enough to remember my name. So much so that my brother didn't even go to the school, and he, and he ran into me years later and was like, oh, yeah, how's your brother doing? I heard that he just got married recently. He, he knew And that showed me that he cared. So first thing, get to know their name, remember it. Use it in conversation. Here's the second thing, get to know their story. So before we share our testimony, our lives, what what, what wants to spur out of us about who God is, what he's done for us, it's important to listen. It's important to listen, to know their story. Do you know where they work? Do you know their family background? Do you know what their spiritual beliefs are? If you already know their name, there's a long way to go to get to know the person. So get to know them. And as you get to know them, as you invite them in for a barbecue or for tea or for going for a beer or for whatever you would like, as you invite them in, make sure that you're ready to share your testimony too as they ask about you. That's one way that we can get to know our neighbors, that we can get to love on them, and that we can get to to share about who Jesus really is. Okay, so I'm pressing unpause on the sermon now. Okay, we had just paused to to jump into that particular aspect. Just want to take a step back now, get back into our, into our, our main focus. We praise the things that capture our heart. And yes, it's great. We can talk about Lord of the Rings and our sports team and all of those kinds of things. That Those things are great. We should be excited about those. But ultimately, what captures our heart the most should be the maker of heaven and earth. Should be the king of the cosmos who's invited us to be in his family. And so I just want to stop for a second because I think one of the reasons why that maybe doesn't flow out of us as much is that we don't simply sit and meditate on all of the blessings that the Lord has bestowed on his children as Christians. So I just want to go for a second through a few of the things that we have been blessed with. We have been blessed to have been saved from an eternal existence of suffering and pain. We have been blessed by being guaranteed eternal life where there is no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow. We have been blessed by having our sins forgiven because Jesus died in our place. We have been blessed by having the God of the entire universe, the one who made the stars, to live inside of us and to empower us. We have been blessed by knowing that we are never alone because he has promised that he will never leave or forsake us. We have been blessed by knowing that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we're going to reign with Christ forevermore. We have been blessed with peace and confidence in this life because we know that he has a good plan for us. We have been so blessed, so, so blessed. 
And the more that we realize just how blessed we are, the more likely we are to praise the one who has given it to all of us. The more we see it, the more we're going to sing about it. The more we see it, the more we're going to celebrate it. The more we see it, the more we're going to speak about it to others. But not just to others. Speak about it to God as well. If we take a a step back from our psalm, look at it from a 10,000-foot view, we see that it, like many other psalms, um, involves prayers of praise. That our middle section is just is praising about who God is and how he interacts in the world. It's not asking for anything. Our psalm does include requests. Requests are good. But it spends time simply praising God for his characteristics. And, and I know that my prayer life has a long way to go. Um, but one of the things that's helped me, a very practical acronym, is the acronym of ACTS. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. There's many different acronyms that can be helpful out there. That's the one that I find, that I use. But it helps to remind me that as I bring my requests to God, that I should also be remembering to adore him, to praise him. It's not just about what I need. It's about acknowledging who he is. Because that's ultimately what I need, is to sit underneath the authority of a king who is loving and kind and to remind myself of these truths and to praise him for who he is. I know for, for, for myself at times, that's hard. I forget that we're just called to sit and praise and worship who he is. Even the first song that we sang, the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Sometimes our call is just to praise That's actually what we were made for. Um, What isn't often missing in our prayers is a request. Requests are good. And we actually see in our psalm, there's the request, not just for this general blessing that he mentions in verse uh, 2 and verse uh, 7, but also in verse 6, he asks for physical blessing. So let's read that out here. It says, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. And then the first part of verse 7 says, may God bless us still. That asking for physical blessing is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. In fact, Jesus commands it in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, pray for your daily bread. That's a good thing. But this psalm reminds us that, that we've been blessed to be a blessing. And even in a very physical sense, we've been blessed to be a blessing physically. First uh, Timothy 6 commands the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. But it's not just for the rich who are called and are blessed to be a blessing. It's also for the poor. Jesus commends the poor widow who goes to the temple and gives her two mites or two pennies when she had nothing left. God commends, uh, Jesus commends her as well. You see, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we know that God has blessed us so that we can bless others. And that is a very, in a very practical sense, that includes physically. Um, there's a, a particular character in history. He's, he's one of my favorite characters. His name is John Wesley. You may have heard of him. He was the founder of the Methodist Church. Um, he was one of the um, most um, influential evangelists in the 20th century. 
And his, a particular story from his life highlights what it means to be radical in giving with our finances. So let me read it for you. In 1731, um, John Wesley began to limit his finances so that he could give more money to the poor. Now, in his first year, he received only 30 pounds to live on in the entire year. And he found that he could live off of 28 pounds so that he could give two pounds away. This is in England, so pounds, dollars, right? Um, The next year, his salary doubled, but he kept his expenses even. Over the course of his life, um, his salary went as high as 1,400 pounds a year, which was a pretty good um, amount of money at that time. And yet, at that time, he was giving away 98% of his income. 98% of his income. Like when we receive more, our first thought is, hey, maybe I can like upgrade, right? Maybe I can get something a little nicer. Maybe I can get a, like a new, a new place. I got a salary. Now I can get something new for myself, a new phone or whatever that is. He kept his expenses even so he could give more money away. Now this so baffled the English tax commissioners that they investigated him, insisting that for a man of his income, he must have silver dishes somewhere that he was not paying taxes on. He wrote to them and he said, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the silver I have at present and I shall not buy any more while so many around me are in need of bread. We should all be so generous with our stuff that it makes people suspicious of us. So generous with our stuff that it makes people suspicious of us. Now, I know that this is challenging. It's a challenging word for me as well. But I believe that we, God has actually given us the strength to be able to give, to be able to bless others with what we have been blessed with because of the two small words in verse 6 that you might have passed over. These two words are our God. Not a God who gives it to us, this blessing, but our God. There's a relationship here, a deep personal connection that we apply to other things when we use the word our. We say our home or our, our pet, or our spouse, or our child, or our church, means something significantly more impactful than just the noun itself. This is not a church, a God, a pet, a child, right? This is ours. We have a God who has chosen to be in unity with us, broken creatures that we are, and yet he is our God. So we share what we have been given, not because it's ours in the first place, but because we're mere stewards of everything that God has bestowed upon us. This is the God who has blessed us beyond measure and the one that we can continue to trust, to provide for us as we give to others. We're called to be conduits, not containers of that blessing. We're called to be rivers that that blessing passes through, not lakes that hold it in. So we're called to bless others physically, but not just physically. As I highlighted earlier, we're called to bless others spiritually. Called to bless others spiritually. And 1 Peter 2.9 puts it this way. But you, Christian, church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Church, you are God's special possession, called to declare, 
called to let people know how God has brought you from darkness to light. Called to share your testimony, what God has done in you and for you. Corporately and individually, he has called you by name. That's Isaiah 43. He has called you by name, not because of how great you are. He didn't call Israel because of how amazing and impressive they are. There's actually a passage where it says, I chose you because you were the weakest among all people so that I could make my name known about how great the Lord is. He didn't choose us because of how amazing we were, but because of how amazing he is. He has blessed us beyond measure. But this blessing didn't come cheaply. Come at the cost of his son. His son who died for each and every one of us. That was the cost. And oh, is that a a pricey cost. But he didn't just die for you and me. He died for the nations. For people who don't yet know that joy. Those are the people he died for. Which is why speaking in Revelation 5, 9 to 10, it says this. With your blood, Jesus' blood, with your blood, you purchased for God's people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. There are people who Christ has died for who are waiting for us to step up and to tell them about this hope that we have. They are waiting what is holding us back? Jesus made a way for all people to come to know him. This is why Jesus said that when he was crucified, he would draw all peoples to himself. He is the one who accomplished it. He is the one, as the descendant of Abraham, who fulfilled that promise about being a blessing to all of the nations. And now, as his followers, we are called to follow in his footsteps to carry that message of what he has done to the nations and to our neighbors. If you're here and you don't know about this message, about this God, this God who blesses radically, what is holding you back from receiving that eternal blessing, that eternal joy about a God who rules the world rightly amidst the chaos that we see? if you are here and you know who God is and what he has done for you, then we must know that it wasn't because of how amazing we were, but it was because of how amazing God was. And how there were people, faithful people, who brought that message to us, who declared that message to us. Whether it was through our ancestors and we grew up in a Christian household and someone brought that message to them, or we didn't grow up in a Christian household and someone told us about it and gave us the word. Someone who had translated that Bible from Hebrew and Greek. Faithful people before us are the reason why we are sitting here today. My question for us is whether we will be faithful to bless others with what we have been blessed with. Let's pray.